views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Welcome to Cultural Brilliance Radio, the DNA of organizational excellence with Claudette Rowley. Conversations that are transforming the world of culture and business. Claudette brings fresh, innovative perspectives that push the boundaries of what organizational cultures can and should be. Learn how to catalyze your organization's workforce into an authentic, intentional, and financially successful culture. Now here's your host, Claudette Rowley. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Pat. I'm here with Claudette because we get to tag team and do an amazing show. I'm so thrilled to be talking with all of you. Uh, you know, it was really exciting to have Claudette launch Cultural Brilliance Radio, the DNA of organizational excellence. And along the way, you know, we get to see what the world right now has out there when you were talking about culture, but also what, what it doesn't have. And so today's show... We're going to be talking about, you know, what this means to have an incredible, brilliant culture. That's what today's about. You know, if you haven't heard uh, any of our previous shows, let me tell you what Claudette does is she works with organizations to get at the core of how they can be the best that they can, the best that they could possibly be. And she's done this by taking years of experience uh, as a strategist and building collaborative executive leadership teams, building collaborative organizations, but most importantly, building collaborative organizations that are high performing. And that is the key. The fabulous model that she's created, the model of authenticity, design, and integration is something that has not been put together in that way. So not only is this new, but this is about renewed. The idea of culture and creating it is something that organizations really don't look at as something that can be productive. Claudette takes this from a whole different paradigm. She is creating a completely new narrative on organizational culture. Claudette, thank you for joining me here today. It's kind of cool, right? You know, talk about the engine of a brilliant culture. Yeah, it is. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. Well, yeah, brilliant culture. Let, let's talk about this because we sometimes talk about culture as if culture was not, it didn't have any people in it, right? Exactly. Doesn't have any people in it. That's like talking about a garden that doesn't have any plants in it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the same analogy. But at the same time, we forget that we're not just individuals, we're a group, we're a team. So what is it that you're now looking at that helps us better understand this idea of team? We're really looking at, like you were saying, sometimes we talk about culture like there are no people in it. And <laughs> to me, it's sometimes we talk about organizations like there are no people in it, as though we have an organization <laughs> and we have people inside when there is no organization without people. And the same with culture. If you don't have people around, you don't actually have a culture because the people themselves have formed the culture. So what I think of, I think of teams as really the engine of an organization and the engine of a culture, because especially now, especially now with our global economy and our global workforce, we see that people are being asked to team all the time. In fact, we have a new verb called teaming. It's a verb, you know, it's teaming is considered an actual verb now. 
Uh, and I would say that's new in the last few years. So, and that has to do with people used to, used to be that teams were static. They would, people would form and they might be in the same team for maybe years. And now people might come together for three months. They might come together for three weeks in order to get a project done, start an initiative. And that team may disband never to come together again and they form a new team. So it's, it is really a new way of working within organizations. You know what I'm really struck by uh, about this is that every year, uh, and maybe I don't know where you live, you, you all may be more consistent than most about this, but every year we go through this thing in sports. And what, what happens is we go through sports drafts, we go through changes in team, we get to go through changes in coaches, but nobody ever says, wait a minute, we're changing the quarterback. Oh, let's expect to lose. Do you know what I'm trying to say? We don't have that, but yet in organizations, we think we have to compromise whenever we're talking about building teams, rebuilding teams, project teams. How do you help change that mindset? It's really, you know, it's, it is, and it is a mindset issue. That, that's exactly the perfect <laughs> word for it because people have to actually start thinking about how they work differently. You know, that, that's the mindset change that I might not work with all the same people. And really, they have to learn how to trust and connect with people much more quickly. You know, as humans, and this, of course, varies person to person, but it might take us a while to trust people. We may not want to connect with people we don't know. We may want to stick with the people we do know. And in order to work effectively in teams, and the mindset really is we have to learn to trust each other and connect with each other pretty quickly, or we're not going to be very effective in getting our work done. And the upside of that is you'll get to know a whole lot of people, you'll gain some new skills, you know, and you can do a lot of interesting projects. And the downside is that teams that come, have to come together and get things done and they don't spend any time on trust or communication really aren't going to do particularly well. Yeah. Unless they're I, you know, I, I'm so, I'm so um, thrilled to be talking with you about this because, you, you know, when we started to, to, to work together and you were forming the idea of a brilliant culture, cultural brilliance, your company as well, you know, there was a lot of things that came to life. I mean, there was a level of animation, so to speak. If, if there could be some kind of psychological animation that goes on when you have an idea that seemed to be missing in previous definitions, right? Um, you know, this is really bringing new life into the worlds of possibilities when we talk about culture. What, what, if, what are other people saying as you're out in the world now saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, I'm looking at this from a cultural brilliance point of view. How are people talking with you about it? People are really interested in, I think they're focusing less on the brilliance part of it because it's a really new way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, but they like the idea of the authenticity and they like mm -hmm. the idea that we're going to, you know, we're going to tell the truth. I may not be using quite that word, but we're going to yeah. tell the truth. We're going to talk about what's really going on. Um, yeah. They are agreeing that a lot of organizations don't understand their cultures. And there's a lot of research and surveys that have been done to substantiate that. So they, you know, there, it, there's a lot of agreement around it. Like this is actually a really interesting idea. You know, I think people are really hungry for a different way to handle culture and to start mm -hmm. to increase their stress levels within their organizations. Cause all the old organizational models, as we all, as we know, don't work and it really ramps up the stress level. You know, so. I, I got to ask you about this because part of this is when you're bringing teams that are rapidly changing, right? 
You know, and I think, you know, it is the difference between having a sports team that gets together year after year and then putting a team together for the Olympics, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, right? So don't we have to learn a whole new idea about what this comes to mean? So what is it that you are talking to people about that they can learn? What is the most important, what are some of the most important things that they might have to learn that they didn't have to learn before? One of the big things, and there's a lot of new research and you know mm-hmm. books being written about this, is this idea of psychological safety. Uh, mm. One of the books by Amy Amy Edmondson, who's a professor and researcher at Harvard, talks a lot about this. There's a, a book in the last couple of years called The Everyone Culture that talks about this idea of well-held vulnerability, which is very similar. And that is something in organizations, at least the ones I've been in, we have not talked much about. And if we've talked about it, we certainly haven't enacted it very well. Mm-hmm. And so it's it that's a big deal, and it's really a key component. Like organizations have to have some psychological safety intact so that people can trust each other quickly. They can be innovative and creative because they can make mistakes. And we've that's not a new idea, but I think what we're actually starting to see now is the fact that some organizations are saying, you know, we can't just keep talking about it. We can't just keep researching it. We can't just keep writing books about it. We've got to actually do it and figure out a way to do it. And that's, that's yeah. a big shift I'm seeing. Yeah. And, you know, isn't this interesting, though? We haven't even talked about yet today the world of social media, the world of technology, mm-hmm. and what the effect of technology is, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, you know, I, I was a little shocked the other day when I was was watching a, the, the baseball playoff game. And I saw that there was like an instant replay where you can – my gosh, the idea of overturning a referee in baseball – is like the craziest thing in the world for me. But there's this technology element to teaming too. Mm-hmm. Is that part of the driving force for this? Or how, how does a team really build that level of connectivity and communication? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the technology can really, it can help or hurt, right? Depending mm-hmm. on how you use it. So if you're going to just send emails back and forth, <laughs> and quick calls, the kind, you know, that kind of connection is not going to work very well. Um, I was actually facilitating a training yesterday in person and someone brought up the fact, he said, you know, people talk about the amount of email they have in their inbox. He said, but what you really have to look at is, are they physically all in the same location or are they Mm -hmm. scattered around the world? And he said, in our company, for example, we all, we have a one location company. And he said, people's email box, they're saying they haven't gotten email responses of people that literally sit 10 feet away from them. And his response is get up and go talk to them. You know, so it's really assessing, you know, how to use technology to increase, I think, your relationships and your connectivity and how do you and and when do you need to use your common sense again and say, I should just go face to face, talk to this person. I should pick up the phone. You know, I should grab them in the hall and have a quick chat before our meeting and things like that. But when teams are not physically in the same location, they're scattered around the globe, I mean, like. Skype and, and so many different platforms are really going to yeah. help people have a face-to-face interaction, which I think is vital for teaming to work. You know, I want to ask you about this. How far does an organization or leadership go to sort of impose this idea? And what I mean by that is a friend of mine said to me a couple of days ago, left up to, if you leave this up to me, no, I'm probably not going to get on Skype. No, I'm probably not going to pick up the phone. No, I'm, and it was really interesting, all the kind of no's that I was getting. I was just like, okay, what, how are we doing it? And I finally turned around to him and I said, okay, well, how are you communicating? Oh, text messaging. Um, now you and I both know 
the danger of text messaging, right? Oh, yeah. 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 The danger of text messaging. And, it, you know, yeah, people, we don't text very completely. It's just, <laughs> especially in, in the business world. One of the things that I want to make sure to point out about yeah. teaming and culture of brilliant teams, and this, again, come from, comes from Amy Edmondson's work, mm-hmm. is that she talks about teaming as a mind, the, taking the mindset and practices of great teamwork. So it's not so much about the structure and design of teams anymore, unless you are going to be on a team, like you said, the, you know, the, sport, the Patriots, the Red Sox, I'm from Boston. So, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> stay together for a really long time versus the Olympic team that comes together just for, you know, several months. Um, they have intense work together. So really it's the mindset and practices of teamwork. And that's what, re- that's what brings teaming together most effectively. So to your point about, you know, how far are we going to go to impose this within an organization? I, get, I think you make it come full circle and you make it part of your culture. Yeah. But it's part of our organizational culture. We are going to connect in these particular ways with each other. Um, I worked with teams, virtual teams, where I've suggested, this was in the last few years, you, you know, it, everyone knows based on research and their own experiences that if you don't know someone, it's going to be hard to work with them. Why don't you schedule a 15 or 20 minute call and just have a get to know you conversation, you know, talk about family, you know, hobbies, whatever, where you live. And there's a lot of resistance to it. We don't have time for that. And I started to push back and say, so you have time to not work together well. You have time to have a conflict. Mm-hmm. You have time to not be creative. You have really, you have time for all those things, but you don't have time for 20 minute phone call and to really get people. This is a big mindset shift for people. Why would I waste time getting to know someone? Well, it's not a waste of time at all. It's the best investment you could ever make if you're going to work, especially virtually. I want to ask you a question about teaming and emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And the reason I want to ask you about this is because I know this is an area that you're, you're not just interested in, but you're acutely aware of Mm -hmm. in, in cultural brilliance. Um, and I don't know that we can say enough about it. Um, when a team member seems to come unglued, Mm-hmm. And that could be over anything. You've seen it. I've seen it. People see it. Um, where is the tolerance level for that? And the, and and I think this is an important conversation because I, I know I ask you like a, almost like a black and white question and it's really not a black and white answer. Mm-hmm. But at some level, given the dynamics, I would love to hear from you. How do we stay authentic mm-hmm. and not be like emotionally unstable because I've been on teams. You've been on teams. I've had bosses that pounded on their desk and like all of that stuff. Where is the balance of letting people, what is the term emote and become passionate? Where where is there like this thing that crosses over to the dark side? Yeah, exactly. That's a great question. And I would say, you know, that's an interesting authenticity can be interpreted a lot of different ways. So your example of the, you know, the boss pounding on the table I wouldn't even say that that person's being authentic because if they were really being themselves, they wouldn't even go there, you know, yeah. they have a different response. But where's the balance? I think the emotional intelligence piece and this, the newer term we're hearing a lot is emotional agility. Yes. Which is like the, is the next phase of it, pretty much the same thing. But it's essentially, and I, I love how distilled down emotional agility is, it's how do you productively manage your thoughts and feelings? And not just in the workplace, anywhere, you know, anytime, personal life, wherever you are. And I think that that's really where we start to find the balance. You know, in a perfect world, I would say everyone should take a class on emotional agility. 
RuneStick class on emotional intelligence and really learn how to take that. Sometimes it only takes five to 10, five to 10 seconds to just stop for a minute and say, I know what I'm feeling. I know what I'm thinking. How do I want to respond now? Because I actually always have a choice as long as I can recognize it. What would be productive here? What do I need to stay, say, even though I might be triggered? Um, and I think when people can start to do that, they're not going to go over to the dark side. Um, you know, or if some, you know, we all have days, right? So if someone yeah. does blow up, if they have some emotional agility and intelligence, they, of course, go back and clean it up and they apologize. Mm-hmm. And most people accept an apology. Yeah, absolutely. You know, can we talk about this for for one more minute? Because we're talking about teaming and we're talking about how important it is. We're talking about the dynamics of change that may happen. You may be on. I know you may be on one project one week. And, you know, by the way, it doesn't mean you cannot as an individual not be on multiple projects at the same time, Mm -hmm. you know, with multiple dynamics. Right. Right. Um, How does that idea of emotion because you touched about you touched upon this before when you said the word conflict right Mm. there's almost like a precursor to conflict and that would be what we're talking about Mm -hmm. you know i've seen people fired for Mm -hmm. having an emotional moment at a project in front of a client Mm-hmm. That was just zero tolerance, right? Yeah. And so it's not like in the movies where we're watching bad bosses or something like this. Mm-hmm. There's a real consequence if we don't learn to get along. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in front, you know, a client or a customer, right? Mm-hmm. So there, there is a huge consequence. And I think that sometimes what people are doing is they're letting it build up internally. Uh, um, they're putting up with situations that are really untenable for them, thinking they can't mm-hmm. say something they're not holding their boundaries, you know, and there may be a lot of organizational cultural reasons why they're having a hard time doing that. It might be the culture doesn't support it. So it's, it's, you know, it's very relational in that way. How are the people operating within their culture and what do they feel they're allowed to do? Uh, but ultimately, since we're all responsible for ourselves, you know, when people are getting to the point where they're exploding in a way that they weren't able to stop, you need to ask stress level, what's going on for them that they haven't taken care of. Mm-hmm. Or how is the organization treating them in a way that they felt that they couldn't take care of themselves, mm-hmm. depending on the situation. Well, and, and it doesn't really help. Uh, I mean, many of us know, I think we're, we're really struck by the, the, the movie that just came out on, on Sully, you know, the yeah. pilot that landed the plane. Right. I mean, can you, can you imagine if that clip was, you know, him getting all crazy and excited and not be able to think straight? Doesn't this... Doesn't conflict on teams affect our ability uh, to think and maybe even be creative? Because this is all part of the teaming thing, get, figuring this stuff out, right? Yeah, conflict will add unresolved. So that I, I think of conflict mm-hmm. in two ways. There could be really uh-huh. positive conflict because you're having a passionate debate uh, and it gets you somewhere that's even more creative and innovative. And then there's the conflict you're talking about that's destructive, um, that usually mm-hmm. doesn't get resolved, or someone's putting somebody down, or it's a personal attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, people aren't speaking up about important things, and that, yeah, mm-hmm. that kills creativity, it kills innovation, it kills productivity. I mean, it is w- one of the number one things that organizations have to learn how to handle, people have to handle. And ideally, I, I like to have teams have agreements around how they're going to handle conflict. Like, this has actually been discussed. They have a designed agreement that says... If a conflict occurs, and, you know, hopefully it will. If we're all just sitting around being nice, probably something's not being said. You know, (laughs) when a conflict occurs, this is how we, uh, you know, we'll handle it within a certain amount of time. We'll handle it this particular way. This is what we'll do. 
and everyone agrees to those ground rules. Yeah. I mean, we're really clear now in the world we live in that there are organizations doing this really well. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise, this call right here between us would not be happening, right? Right. You know, there are organizations that have figured it out. And, and, and literally, if you are a company like Microsoft, which I'm familiar with because it's where I've lived, if you are an organization like Microsoft, you better make sure that the people that are on your service end of this, it doesn't matter where they live, mm-hmm. are really, really good at what they do and understand the customer and I've been very, very surprised at the service that I've gotten in a positive way. Mm-hmm. What is the delineative factor, if there is one thing that mm-hmm. you think kind of sets, sets an organization apart in a good way? What, what mm-hmm. do you think has to be the juice in that? Generally speaking, it's, it is their emphasis on their employees. It's how they're mm-hmm. treating their people. And, of course, they're customers, but they, you could have great customer service and not be treating your people well. <laughs> I think it's how they, how they treat their people. Uh, absolutely. What is the, you know, and they're, as a byproduct of that, how their culture is developing. What kind of culture do they have? What kind of, how do they treat their people? What kind of turnover do they have? Is this considered a good place to work? Because people enjoy themselves. They feel challenged. They feel like there's a reasonable culture and a reasonable environment, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they feel supported. So that, and in those environments, typically people feel a little more comfortable being vulnerable. There's a little bit more psychological safety. I think almost all organizations could still do a better job with it. You know, there's a handful that are probably superstars, but organizations aren't really there. But that's the delineating factor I really see. And to that point of, you know, Sully, which I, I actually have seen that. And one of the things that struck me, yeah, that he, how calm he stayed, but also, how they were looking the National Transportation Safety Board was their job, but how this man had saved 155 lives and they were still looking for the thing he did wrong. Yeah. And that struck me how in organizations we see that so often in a way. Let's mm-hmm. find the thing that you did wrong. Mm-hmm. Or if we catch you doing something wrong, let's really focus on that. Right. And let's forget to talk about, you know, all the things that you did really well. Right. And that really kills people's souls. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love this conversation. Claudette Rowley joining me here today. We're, you know, for those of you tuning in, it's so great to have you here. Cultural Brilliance Radio. It's a regular show. This is Claudette's show. This is something we get to talk about. When we come back, we're going to talk about just that. You know, that, was, that movie was a perfect example of when cultures clash. Mm-hmm. Totally an example of that in a lot of ways. But there are many, many more. And many of you know what we're talking about. When we come back, we're going to talk about that with Claudette, about what does that mean when cultures clash? What does that actually feel like? Is it what you think it is? Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Would you like to experience life-transforming adventures in personal expansion and world service? If you do, tune in to learn about magical innate abilities that you can develop and use to make your dreams come true. Joy Elaine is author of The Joy Chronicles, and she's inviting you and millions of others to join her in working with galactic masters, angels, and the Ashtar Command. 
as they assist humanity and planet Earth to achieve their ultimate destination of ascension. For more information about this upcoming event and broadcast, visit joyelaine.com. That's joy, E-L-A-I-N-E, dot com. What is a brilliant culture? And how do we create them? Why are they important? Claudette Rowley has created a breakthrough five-step process to help you design a culture that is authentic, innovative, and successful. Learn how to create change with Cultural Brilliance Radio, the DNA of organizational excellence, and Claudette Rowley. To learn more or work with Claudette, visit ClaudetteRowley.com. Francine Vale is a being of light. She believes that all people of planet Earth are as well. As co-host of the Angel Healer radio show, Francine teaches you heart-centered ways to manifest healing on your own behalf and how to integrate love more fully into your daily life. Connect with your angels as you find your life flowing with ease and harmony. Walk the path of light with Francine and Dr. Pat Basili every month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Beyond being this amazing neurologist, inventor, author, Dr. Dan Cohen has been called to look at technology and look at personal and spiritual development and merge these together. His technology uses the healing and psycho-spiritual effects of synchronized sounds, vibration, electromagnetic fields, and how that interacts with us in our nervous system in what we're calling the Soltech Chair. The Soltech Lounge induces profound levels of relaxation that transition over time into deep meditative states. The synchronized sound vibration and magnetic field induce these states. The subject doesn't have to work at it. To learn more, go to soltechwellbeing.com. That's S-O-L-T-E-C, Wellbeing. Everybody, welcome back. It's great to have all of you tuning us in and turning us on. Um, for those of you out there, I want to make sure you know um, how to reach uh, Claudette. Claudette, you know what I'm excited about here too. That I hope we just let's just take a moment to talk about it. I know you touched about uh, upon it earlier. You work with organizations and not only just facilitating workshops, but you you work with organizations on cultural brilliance. Um, also, you're a keynote speaker and so forth for folks listening that want to bring uh, Claudette in to speak in your organization. What's the best way for people to find out more about you and to contact you directly? Thanks, Pat. So my website is culturalbrilliance.com. Uh, my direct phone number is 781-538-6616. And I'd love to talk with anybody about yeah, bringing cultural brilliance into your organization, keynote speaking, doing some executive coaching for your leadership team, there are a lot of ways to start to look at your culture and understand it better and even take a little, you know, a baby step forward. Nice. So a minor, have, have a minor impact on the culture that maybe can reverberate throughout it. 
Yeah, and also, um, if they go to your website, they, they'll they be able to get the leadership mindset. So maybe you can right. tell folks a little bit about that. Yeah, the leadership mindset is uh, an email that comes out on Mondays, and it's designed to be very, very short, something you can read in a minute or two to help you have some new thoughts or insights for the week. Awesome. Um, before the break, um, we were we were talking about teams, and we're talking about teaming, which is a new term, really. For a lot of folks, they may yeah. not know what that means. Um, and we're talking about it now in the context of culture. Um, there is something that we are familiar with, though, when we talk about culture, culture clash. It's actually like a real term. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't feel good if you're part of it, mm-hmm. right? No. What is it? And what is it that you've discovered you could do to help organizations? Can it even be repaired? I don't know. It can be repaired. Absolutely. So culture clash, you know, we're familiar with it in terms of someone moving to a new country. And we'll talk about, I felt a lot of culture clash because this was so foreign to me. It was so unfamiliar. And in teaming, it happens because sometimes teams are, you might have three organizations coming together on a project. Like say it's a big construction project, architectural project, something like that. It requires lots of different disciplines. And you could actually have a culture clash between the teams. Uh, because those organizations are different, or maybe you have a sales team, an engineering team, a design team of some kind. So we're really talking about the, the culture of those specific teams or organizations literally clashing, meaning people, there's conflict, people aren't appreciating differences, they don't understand how to work together effectively. And for whatever reason, in our societal culture, there's still a lot of feeling that difference is bad. And so we'll see that on teams, we'll see that among organizations, versus looking at it and saying, wow, isn't that interesting that this team or this person's really different? What can I learn from this? How can we start to see where we have some commonalities? How can we start to see our differences as perhaps benefits? Yeah, I mean, it is one of the most uncomfortable experiences I know I've personally had working in organizations um, when culture is, when the culture is clashing. Mm-hmm. And and I and I wonder if we can talk about this for a minute, because it's not just like culture is clashing. There are so many layers of mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it could be culture, subculture, one department, another department. It mm-hmm. could be a merger, an acquisition, mm-hmm. uh, or it could be a team uh, that simply reorganizes. I mean, I went through this in a phone company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you take an organization that's used to working together and you say, wait a minute, now you're going to move over here, folks. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a different vice president, a different, right? Mm-hmm. We don't even stop to think about the impact of that. Yeah, we really don't. And that it's not so much that it happens. It's how it, ha- as we talked about before, it's how it happens. Yeah. I mean, I think most people, there are always exceptions. And I think most people can handle most changes if they feel respected, they feel informed, they feel that the communication's been, I always say, over. Just think, feel like you're over-communicating and you'll probably be where you need to be when uh-huh. there's change because people don't hear it the first three times or they don't, you know, so many things happen because they're feeling distressed. And I think that gets overlooked. They're like, oh, it's work. People just have to deal with it. Well, they're human, so they're not going to just deal with it. They will feel distressed. They will feel upset. They will feel scared and threatened. And they'll. And when we're human, when we do that, we are not as productive. We're not as calm. We're not as creative. And that's a lot of the reasons we have culture clash, why mergers don't work, why there can be, like you said, there can be two subcultures clashing within an organization. Yeah. Because we don't take into account the human element of it. 
Yeah. I want to ask you this question. You know, there are some organizations that can anticipate what mm-hmm. might happen. That's probably not the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a difference, you know, for you in going into organizations? Are you asked to come in after the clash has happened generally, or have you been asked to come in to say, can you help us with this organization over here that used to be part of this division? Now they're going to a totally different division or, you know, totally different, you know, norms in the organization. How does this unfold and what would you prefer? What would you recommend? I'm usually called in after the clash has happened, (laughs) uh, right? Because organizations, many of them are still very reactive and in problem-solving mode, you know, so yeah. wait. And then and I want to make one comment about I, that I think is so related to this is this element of time. Mm. The leaders will say, well, we should focus on our culture, but we don't have time. Oh, boy. And I get that sometimes timing is important, and one time may be a little better than another time. Yeah, there are those nuances to it. And by and large, how can you not have time to focus on your culture, which is actually driving everything that you do? Um, and so the same can kind of and can come up with this, the concept you were just talking about is how do we, how do organizations do this well? How do they start to understand that they actually need to plan? They need to be proactive in terms of actually planning change. And what usually happens is it's going to be someone on a leadership team that will say, we should plan this change, right? <laughs> we should do something. We should have maybe an outside person come in and help us figure this out who has a you know, fresher perspective, who's not part of the system. And that may happen, or they may be a lone voice. And everyone says, you know, we don't have time. We don't have money. We just got to get this done. People will figure it out. Um, and I'm not sure why, but that mindset tends to persist in many places. And people, yeah. of course, don't really figure it out. Yeah. 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 You know what it reminds me of, though, too, is that each of us have an opportunity to either have a preventative mindset or you know, how should I say it, a wellness mindset. And what I mean by that is, you know, you could be the person that buys the new car and doesn't think to check the tires or doesn't think to get the oil change or doesn't think to do any of that, figuring that if you just wait long enough, you'll deal with the thing when it happens, right? Mm-hmm. And then there are those people that say, nope, I'm going in on my 15,000 check. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to balance the tires. I'm going to do this with my engine. Mm-hmm. Um and my, you know, I, I used to have a boss that used to say to, to all of us, well, you could pay me now or pay me later. Mm-hmm. And I never really got that until fast forward to the world we live in today. Mm-hmm. Because at some point, there will be a consequence for not paying attention to a culture changing. Absolutely. I mean, we see consequences already all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in people falling behind their competition in, oh. in the high levels of employee disengagement that we, you know, there's so, there's so much to support that what we're, what a lot of organizations are doing doesn't work. And of course there are shining star organizations out there. Uh, but it called investing in your culture is investing in the future of your organization and how, and, and really investing in your, you know, I think of it as the humanity of how you work with people. Oh. And that's really not, that's not going to be necessarily motivating to, to some organizations. Um, but there is this aspect, you know, how are we going to treat people? How do we want to be as people in organizations? And realizing that when we do that really well, we actually make more money. We actually will yeah. make more money. Um, so yeah. it becomes a win-win. It's not let's treat people well and lose money. 
is treat people well, have a great culture, whatever in your culture is unique and specific to your organization. It's authentic to your organization. So it's never about forcing an organization to be a specific culture. It's going to be, it's just like a family. Families are unique in their cultures and so are organizations. So letting that organization have its culture emerge in a really authentic way that supports everybody is, is actually the best way to go in the end. Yeah. And, you know, by the way, we're going to talk about this when we come back. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about, you know, what can you do to build? What can you do to build culturally brilliant teams? What is the essence of that? And very specifically, what's your checklist going to look like as you go through it and say, are we doing this? Are we doing this? Are we doing this? And are we doing that? Claudette Riley in the house here. Culturalbrilliance.com is the website. Tuning in to Cultural Brilliance Radio, the DNA of organizational excellence. We'll be right back. Wow. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. I'm telling you, I got to pinch myself some days because when each of us gets called to do something that we so not thought was in our wheelhouse to do for a purpose that's so much greater than us, we get to show up and shine. If you would like to show up and shine on the Dr. Pat Show as a co-host or sponsor, send us an email to inspire at thedrpatshow.com. Sky Siegel co-hosts one of today's most popular psychic shows, Angels and Answers, with Artie Hoffman as she communicates healing messages from the spirit world. These messages can be astounding, enlightening, and life-changing. Born with the God-given talent of inner guidance and the amazing ability to heal, Sky has healed thousands of people. Schedule a reading with Sky now. Call 908-500-1474 and visit skyofangels.com. Get into it for 2016. Do you want more prosperity, clarity, energy, and balance in your life? Join Lynn Brown now for one of her amazing workshops, each focusing on a key part of living your best life. For more information and to register for one of these amazing workshops, visit lynnbrownevent.com. That's lynnbrownevent.com. And get into it this 2016 with Lynn Brown. What is a brilliant culture? And how do we create them? Why are they important? Claudette Rowley has created a breakthrough five-step process to help you design a culture that is authentic, innovative, and successful. Learn how to create change with Cultural Brilliance Radio, the DNA of organizational excellence, and Claudette Rowley. To learn more or work with Claudette, visit ClaudetteRowley.com. How would you like increased health and vitality? How would you like to avoid the onset of disease as well as slow the aging process? This is all possible through a simple, safe, and natural process. Every day we are either moving toward wellness or away from wellness. Hi, I'm Mary Jane Mack. I'd like to be your partner in achieving optimal health. Contact me now at maryjanemack.com or call 425-392-0659. Visit maryjanemack.com. Holistique Medical Center is where you find it all. A healthy space with doctors who care, see, and listen to the whole you. Hi, this is Dr. Darvish. If you have not found an answer to your chronic symptoms, you will find answers here at Holistique Medical Center. 
Our doctors find the root cause of your symptoms and guide your body towards healing naturally. We transform lives from within. Visit drdarvish.com or call 425-451-0404. Welcome back, everyone. It's great to have all of you tuning us in and turning us on. So for those of you that want to find out more about the work that Claudette is doing, please go to the website, culturalbrilliance.com. If you've missed any of the radio shows, you can go to her website and radio page. Just listen, download. Most of you are listening from either one of the 90 other channels that this is on, and we want to thank you for doing that. Um, the other thing also, if you sign up for a newsletter, what's going to happen is you're going to get this really cool leadership mindset, mm-hmm. and those are fabulous. Uh, for many of you out there, if you're interested in, in bringing Claudette in to speak, go to her speaking page and check that out. Claudette, right now we're going to talk about four tips, right? I right. love that we're able to say this, 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 and this. Are, mm-hmm. are you doing them? So I don't, I'm, I'm just... I just want to know, where the heck do you even start? (laughs) I started, you know, what I think is the basis of everything. Uh, So looking at teaching people, having a team that establishes some sort of psychological safety or emotional safety is one of the first tips to having a Mm -hmm. culturally brilliant team or teaming in a really effective way. So starting to have that conversation, if it's not been had with your team, how do we create psychological safety here? How do we make this part of our team culture? How do we make it part of our greater organizational culture is even an even better conversation. But what do we need to do to make that happen? I mean, that that's a huge piece of it right there. You know, safety, can we talk about it for a minute? Yeah. Because I think this ties right back into authenticity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's got to be a place where ideas will be able to be generated. People can be creative. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but... Generally, my experience has been if the culture is not a safe culture, innovation is really what gets hit badly. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Oh, I do, because innovation, when we think of you know, the, the definition of innovation, another definition of it is actually transformation or synonym is transformation. So all transformation and innovation require risk. So if you're mm-hmm. not in a safe environment, you, it's your point. You cannot innovate because you don't feel comfortable taking the risk. Because mm-hmm. the consequences are negative. Mm-hmm. If the risk doesn't pan out, if the innovation doesn't work. So in order to innovate successfully, yeah, you have got to have some safety in place. It says we know yeah. that part of innovating is taking a risk, which means we might make a mistake or fail. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I love this because, you know, if you're an artist or you're out in the world and you do things creatively, whatever what that looks like, it, it's really interesting. Even a marginal risk is a risk worth taking to yeah. to just move in a creative direction, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Even a marginal risk. And so there's risk there, you know, the two kinds of risks. There's the ramifications mm-hmm. of taking a risk in your organization. And then there's internally what we perceive to be a risk, which may just be a risk for us because it stretches us. It could be a risk that we think we may, we may perceive that a risk is, is not particularly safe in our organization, which could yeah. be true not true so that's Mm -hmm. something to check out but Mm -hmm. there's a lot to risk but in a safe environment you're going to have people willing to take those risks because they know it's okay Mm -hmm. if they feel internally challenged to take a risk 
it's safe enough, they'll actually go to a boss. They'll go to their co- a coworker or peer and discuss it. I'm thinking of taking this risk, but boy, I'm really nervous about it. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And so it, everything, even in saying that, I feel calmer, <laughs> like, you know, thinking about exactly. the safe environment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, you know, it's interesting because we have a number of innovations and, you know, we got our dashboard delivered the other day and Jessica was testing it and uh, everybody was in on the test mm-hmm. and we've tested it before and, you know, we just haven't even come close. And this particular test was really kind of cool. And there was one little thing that just wasn't connecting. Mm-hmm. And it was so interesting to see how non-issue that was. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How a non-issue it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because the innovation literally overshadowed what wasn't being done right. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this is also part of it. Being able to go back to what you said earlier. Mm-hmm. You have to accept what's working really well. And what's not working really well so that you can figure out how to bring it together, don't you? Yeah, you do. And, uh, you know, so much research on entrepreneurship has really been, you know, there used to, there was this thinking that entrepreneurs took more risks than other folks, but they found in a set of research that was done that they actually don't. They just, they learn from their risks. They learn from their mistakes that don't go well. And then, okay, we tried that. Oh, we didn't, that didn't work out well. What do we learn from it? How can we apply it onto the next thing? And right when you're talking about your dashboard, one little thing not working, it's kind of like that. Okay. So this isn't all right. Great. But everything else is working. What do we need to take from this and move forward? Yeah. You know what I love about this? We have programmers in different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. They get along. Right. They don't even work for the same company. Wow. I hadn't thought about that till till we were just talking about this. Mm -hmm. I find that actually fascinating now that we're thinking about it. Yeah. How much does personality play? uh, Or is it not even relative in the scheme of things? I think it's, I think it's only relative if you have someone whose personality is, you know, an outlier, really challenging to handle kind of personality. mm -hmm. But I think for most personalities by and large, as long as it's really more, it's about the vulnerability. And I think it's really about the emotional intelligence, emotional agility piece. So if you have some emotional intelligence and you can understand how to connect to different people and you can read people, you can be a little bit agile, stop and think of, like we said before, stop and take a breath and think about how you want to respond to things. Your personality is really not going to matter very much. Mm -hmm. And you can try to, personality clashes are really another way of saying, I don't understand you. And because I don't understand you, you're making me uncomfortable. And I yeah. find you have to work with. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I know we haven't talked about it in this show, in, in this particular show or conversation, but we have talked about it and it's trust. Yeah. Underneath all of this, there's got to be a tip about trust and building trusting relationships. Yeah. It's really, well, I think when people are, you know, having emotional, psychological safety or vulnerability that inherent in that is trust. Yes, absolutely. Because you cannot feel safe without trusting the people you're with. You cannot trust without having some level of safety with them. So it is about, it's about building trust. It's about assuming, um, the people are well-intentioned by and large until, you know, of course, sometimes people aren't and you get that information, you handle it. But the by and large, most people are, are actually well-intentioned, even if their impact isn't great sometimes. And that's another aspect of it, which takes me to another tip, um, which allows this trust to build, which is 
that saying that I didn't come up with, but so many people have said, which is you got to slow down to speed up. So in order to, and you're slowing down could be for an hour. It doesn't have to be for a month. What? Okay. We're of a new team forming, right? We're across disciplines. We um, haven't ever worked together. Like your programmers were around the world. Let's take an hour or two. Let's get on Skype or zoom or whatever. And let's, you know, design a call where we get to know each other and figure out how we're going to work together. What are going to be our agreements around working together so that we can hit the ground running on this really important project versus we don't have time to spend an hour or two getting to know each other. So we're going to bungle around and miscommunicate. Right. I mean, this doesn't even make sense to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who'd want to do that, right. <laughs> right. Sounds very right. painful. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, and, and part of this too, of what I heard you talk about is that this has to be looked at almost like one layer at a time, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's also in some ways it's, there's a simplicity to it that I like, you know, yeah. that if we understand how to connect with each other, if we understand how to relate to each other, at least at professional levels, yeah. In both cases, we actually can work together. Yeah. And if we peel back most organizational issues and problems all the way back down to their core, it's usually that people don't know how to work together. So they can't solve problems well, make decisions well, communicate effectively, manage up, manage down, whatever. And that's that's what I found is the basis of most things. If not, mm-hmm. I don't want to use the word all, but I'd say almost all problems I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. What a great show. Wow. The time has just gone by so quickly. Thank you so much for today. I wanted to ask you, what's your personal message? What would you like to leave us with here? The personal message is that I was in, working in an organization a couple of months ago doing some teaming and team building work. And this was the first time this company had come together to do anything like that. So it was new to them. And at the end of the session, it was really great because when we were debriefing, someone actually said, this, this gentleman said, I'm getting that this is all about communication. It's really about communication. And that was an amazing thing to hear because it is actually almost all about communication. Because once we communicate effectively, we can get so much done in our work and get so much done in our company and for the world. So that's my message. And you also work with organizations and teach communication workshops and coaching on that. Absolutely. Love to do that. All right, everyone. Thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on. Please go to culturalbrilliance.com. If you want to find out more about us, go to transformationtalkradio.com, consciousbusinesschannel.com. Also, for those of you out there, if you've missed any part of any of Claudette's shows, just go to culturalbrilliance.com, and they're right there on the radio page. Thanks, Claudette, for a great show. Thanks, Pat. All right, everybody, we'll see you next time. Hit show Cultural Brilliance Radio, the DNA of organizational excellence with Claudette Rowley. Conversations that are transforming the world of culture and business. You can download this podcast and find out more about Claudette and her breakthrough work at ClaudetteRowley.com. Please contact Claudette and find out how you can create a brilliant culture. 